What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner from Arrowhead Pride and joined, but as always, by Ron Kopp Jr. Ron, have you been able to recover from last week's beatdown in the barbecue draft? Yeah, you got me. And Twitter agreed with, with your team. You got me. But hey, I'll take the 20%. Out of 200 votes, that, 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 that's the 20% of people that uh, voted for me. I'll take that. Shout out to you guys who voted for the, the better team. But at the same time, Stags, that, the Z-Man at the number one pick, that's hard to beat. What's popular isn't always what's right, and what's right isn't always popular. So, Ron, maybe you, you, you pulled out some points that were less known or less popular, and I pulled out some of the more uh, obvious choices. So, you know, there, there's a balance there, but I definitely enjoyed that. For those of you that may have missed it, check out last week's episode where we did a barbecue draft. And then, of course, you can see on Twitter where we did a poll to see who had the best overall platter of the best of Kansas City barbecue dishes. For this week, I wanted to start by doing a quick preview of a couple of pieces that just launched on our arrowheadpride.com. Uh, Ron, you had a piece talking about the Chiefs' red zone defense. Did you see that as a problem going in, and, and did this review change your opinion about that? Well, I am starting a series this summer going over different phases of the game in 2020 and how we can get better in 2021 or worse, uh, you know, in, in areas that the Chiefs were good at last year. But the red zone defense was not one of those areas. Uh, they definitely need to improve. They were 32nd in the league last year in touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. And if you've been listening to OTA pressers, it's been an obvious theme. Spags has talked about it. Anthony Hitchens has talked about it. Tyron Matthew, they've all talked about it. They spent a lot of time on red zone defense early on in OTAs. So it's definitely a problem. It's definitely on the linebackers, in my opinion. If you read the article, you'll see that a specific linebacker keeps kind of getting some blame. Uh, one of our favorites around here. So, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say the linebacker group could do a little better in the red zone. Certain younger linebackers can step up. It would make a huge difference in 2021. Is it just about run defense down there, or is there more to it than that? No, it is not. And the run defense actually wasn't too bad. There are instances of good goal line stuffs. For instance, Damian Wilson in the Super Bowl single-handedly stopped the Buccaneers back-to-back plays on the one-yard line. I highlighted that on Twitter. But it's also just the linebackers' inability to cover, get to the flat quick enough, scrape over people on outside runs, outside stretch plays. That's the main thing for me. I think the linebackers need to be more athletic, get to the sideline a little better, quicker, fill in those gaps when there are those those cutback lanes. So I think, it, like I said, it's really on the linebackers, but there's a lot of blame to go around. It feels like this defense in a lot of ways is almost good enough, almost there on time. You know, they have a drive almost shut down, and then something goes wrong. There's a penalty. There's a blown assignment. There's something that that somebody missed filling a lane. And it's frustrating to watch because you know they have talent, you know the scheme is good, and they it feels like they're close to being a really, really good defense if they can clean up whatever those those little things that go wrong on each drive. Yeah, and the thing is, a lot of red zone defense is just being smart, being an instinctual player, being a natural player. Sometimes you have to kind of go outside of your responsibility. Don't just blindly do what you're told to do. Kind of have a feel for what's going on and You'll see in my article, I highlighted a few plays where I'd like some certain players to show a little more natural instinct, all that kind of stuff. Well, I started a new series this week as well. It's called The Other Side right now, and it's really taking the opposite position, devil's advocate, if you will, on some conventional takes on the Chiefs. The first edition out today is this idea that the Chiefs have to add a big name, three down, edge player in free agency or it's a big hole in the roster so I talked about the other side of that argument obviously nobody here would be upset if they added 
a big name addition at the edge position. There's not a ton of them left, but, you know, even a Melvin Ingram, you know, we've talked about him plenty, would be a welcome addition. So I tried to make the case for why they might be good even without another addition on the edge. Yeah, and the flexibility the defense has, the versatility of the defensive line. We've seen Spagnuolo likes to move guys in, move guys out, you know, switch around. They're not just playing their exact position each down of each drive. So I think that also helps, but you touched on all that. So definitely go check that out at arrowheadpride.com. This week, we're going to do another quick feature. Again, we're out of structure. We can do what we want. So we're going to do a quick preview of the AFC West, talk a little bit about some of the moves that the other teams in the division made and why that helps or does not help their standing against the Chiefs this season. Ron, maybe we just start by doing a quick headline for each of the teams in the division and then we can talk a little bit about the the detail and fill in the blanks. So what do you have for a headline for the Raiders? So they didn't get much better. I think that is very obvious and the ways they didn't get better are just puzzling to me. They had an efficient offense last year. We saw that with how they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs in both games, obviously won the first one. Their defense is what was really bad last year. It was, it was very bad. And so that headline would, yeah, it would be, we didn't get much better because you lost three of your best offensive linemen. You traded away all three of Trent Brown, Rodney Hudson, and Gabe Jackson. You signed, you signed center Nick Martin from Houston and draft Alex Leatherwood, but you're just losing a lot of experience there. And we all know offensive lines about continuity and you're not having any of it behind a, a veteran quarterback or in front of a veteran quarterback, I should say. You also lost Nelson Aguilar, who was your best deep threat. I know they added John Brown, who should be able to give a similar role, but I would say, I would say that doesn't help. Again, the continuity thing, I think it helps to have continuity with your receiver, especially a quarterback like Derek Carr. And then puzzling to me is, why are they adding another running back? Kenyon Drake is now in the backfield alongside Josh Jacobs. We all know how important running backs are, Matt. I just I don't really see the value of doing that or the the upside of, of adding another running back. What do you think? Yeah, Jacobs has turned into arguably arguably their best offensive player, right? Yeah. So and Kenyon Drake's a pretty he has been explosive in the past. I, I think he had a little bit of a down year, but he is a player that could be and has been a featured running back. So yeah, if you have a chance as an offense to dump one of the best offensive lines in the league and add another running back, why wouldn't you? We all know that's how offensive line or how running games get better, right, is by getting rid of good offensive linemen and just adding another running back. No, it is puzzling to me, though, because Josh Jacobs not only is just a good runner, he's a good receiver. That's, he has been out of Alabama. He's been a good pass catcher. That's somewhere maybe you think Kenyon Drake could maybe add to it, but I think Jacobs does enough in that department where you didn't need to add him. But also another thing, I, I think the Raiders did improve in one area. They did add Yannick Ngakwe, and I think he's the best pass rusher in terms of a talent, the best pass, pass rusher they've had on the team in a while. I think that's one thing that's always plagued the Raiders is they haven't had a really good pass rusher coming off the edge since Khalil Mack got traded away. So that's one place they did improve. But overall, I just don't see them improving very much in 2021. Going back to pass rush. So they drafted a guy that we really liked pre-draft, Cleveland Farrell, and he hasn't really panned out yet. They've got Max Crosby, who's been pretty explosive at times. He's he's flashed some real pass rush ability. And they added Ngakwe. They added Solomon Thomas, who in theory should be able to help you know, or at least he's a name that was highly thought of coming out of college. Maybe they, maybe they improved the pass rush a little bit over what they had before. They also lost one of their better pass rusher, uh, pass rusher from the interior from last season, right? Yeah, Mo Hurst was actually statistically one of their best, most effective pass rushers. He put pressure on as much as any of their defensive linemen did. So, yeah, I think I didn't really understand that because he was on his rookie deal. It's not like he was an expensive player or anything. What's the harm in keeping him around? But I will say, like you mentioned with Cleveland Farrell, Max Crosby, they're young players, and defensive line is one of those positions that might take a few years to really get into it and really get comfortable in your position. We've seen that in Kansas City with some of our top defensive line when we've, we've drafted over the years, kind of coming into their own in their third and fourth years of the rookie deal. So 
yeah, I'd, I'd say their pass rush did maybe take a step forward for 2021. But in my opinion, that's really the only area of their of their team that really improved. But it is an important area of the team for sure, especially when you're going against Patrick Mahomes two times a year. Yeah, their corners consist of a lot of guys taken too early in the draft over the right. last few years that have talent. They have some physical ability. I'm not sure if they're going to put it all together, and they're really counting on development from a lot of young players in their secondary. But then they sort of bookended that with a couple older players like Casey Hayward come in. Yeah, and I think I think Hayward's a good player, so I think that's a good move on their part. But at the same time, he, he's kind of we've kind of seen the prime of his career. It's past him at the, at this point, in my opinion. But having, adding a safety like Trayvon Morrig, who was the best safety in the class for a lot of people. That also helps, along with Jonathan Abram, who, you know, the Chiefs have exploited a few times, but he is still a pretty good player. You got to give him that. So marginally improved on defense, maybe a slightly better running back situation than last year, although, again, why? Um, not better at, at wide receiver. And Derek Carr is still their quarterback. Do you think the Raiders are an actual threat this year? No, I think they are actually less of a threat than they were in 2020. I think we saw the Raiders really put it together for those two Chiefs games. It was their Super Bowls both times. But they didn't really do add what they needed to do to continue that momentum against the Chiefs. If anything, I just feel like they made it easier on the Chiefs to attack them next year. So It was a complete with the parade. In the, <laughs> and and they get us again. Who knows? They're going to be. Yeah, they'll have a whole parade with fans and everything outside of Arrowhead next time, not just the bus. So, yeah, anything can happen game to game, but it's pretty difficult to see them improving on the eight and eight record that they had in 2020. So we're going to slot them probably for last in the division in 2021 at this point. I'd say so. OK, well, let's move on to the Denver Broncos. The headline that I had down for Denver is they still don't have a quarterback, but at least their secondary is good. Yes, and those are the two highlights. Because when you look at this Denver offense, they have weapons. There are weapons on the team, a lot of good weapons in my opinion. You get Cortland Sutton back from injury. He was injured all last year. He's, he's one of the better receivers in the league in my opinion. And you add that onto a decent receiving core as it was with Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, and I like their tight end duo too. I think Noah Fant's a guy that could really take a step forward as he gets older into his career. And then Albert O from Missouri, as, as Missouri fans know, I think he's a good player too, and he, and he had some promise last year in a few plays. But adding Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback, is that much of an improvement to Drew Locke? I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, Drew Locke maybe has the better arm talent, and Teddy Bridgewater might just be a safer player who puts – you know, Drew Locke led the league in interceptions last year. He had 15. So maybe Teddy just uh, has a little bit sa more safety with the ball, but I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Do you think Teddy Bridgewater actually improves the quarterback position or is it just a different way of a different style of quarterback that's still going to have not that great of results? Yeah. Do, do two mediocre quarterbacks add up to a, a good quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I don't think they do. I don't know what bringing Bridgewater in does for this team other than, you know, obviously gives some, theoretical competition to Drew Locke. The only thing that I can think at quarterback is that they're still hoping that Aaron Rodgers somehow ends up on their team, which would, which would make a dramatic difference to this team. Cause you're right. They do have offensive weapons. Their offensive line is, you know, competent at this point. And they added everybody's favorite uh, belly from the senior bowl, Quinn Miners uh, at an offensive line who I think, can be a really good player in this league. And they added a good, the best running back in the draft too, Javante Williams. So they've definitely have the offensive skill players to compete. And I think Jerry Judy is due for a step forward. Yeah. And I really like what Cortland Sutland and, and even Tim Patrick can bring uh, to this offense so that they have all the pieces in place other than the quarterback, but they'll only go as far as Drew Locke can take them unless and until they make a bigger move at quarterback that defense, though, is still pretty good, right? And and they really seem to focus and prioritize. Is it is it are they prioritizing the opportunity to compete with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? On defense? Yeah, by by loading up their secondary, right? And they did. I mean, they have names. They may not all be in their prime still. They may not all be all be where they they were at one point in their careers. But 
you're talking about adding Kyle Fuller, Ronald Dur- Darby, and number nine overall pick Patrick Sertan to the secondary that already had Justin Simmons, who by PFF standards and a lot of people's standards is the best safety in the league. He just got paid as, as that. Kareem Jackson, who's an older veteran safety, but it's still a, a good safety. And Bryce Callahan was one of the statistically best slot corners in the NFL last year. That's six good names. That's that's what you need when you're going against a, a an offense like Patrick Mahomes, where they spread out, have a bunch of receivers. You need guys that can cover all over the field, and they definitely have that, especially with guys like Kareem Jackson who can come into the slot as well as be a, a deep safety. Justin Simmons is a versatile guy, so I think their defensive secondary is is something that that definitely rivals. It's probably the best secondary. In well, we'll see, but it, it is one of the better secondaries in in the AFC. So they loaded up on the secondary pieces. They've had in the past, at least theoretically, the best pass rush duo or one of the past best pass rusher duos, but they've never been healthy at the same time yet, have they? Is, is Chubb and Miller, are they back and healthy and ready to go and going to have 17 big games ahead of them? Yeah, and that's the thing with Von Miller. He is getting up there. You know, you, you can't assume that he's going to be that elite player he was before, especially after the injury he suffered last year. But he is back. He's back from injury. It was an early season injury, so it's not something that he's had to recover from this offseason. He's been fully recovered. And like you said with Bradley Chubb, he got hurt in 2019, missed all of that season with a torn ACL. We all know torn ACLs don't just take one year to come back from. It might take a couple years. We've seen that with Juan Thornhill on the Chiefs. So like you said, Chubb and Miller back together, especially with guys like Shelby Harris inside, another good pass rusher for them. They got rid of Jarrell Casey, but they have some good defensive linemen that can get after the pass, the quarterback. And so I do think overall their defense is something, especially with Vic Fangio running it, their defense is definitely something to rival the Chiefs offense and will definitely give them fits in my opinion. Statistically, they were a good defensive last year, right? So they they had one of the better defenses in the division or, or in the AFC arguably in some ways last year, and then they added a lot to the secondary. But we already put the Raiders in the cellar maybe prematurely, given that Denver was 5-11 and 11 last year. Do we see them making enough of a jump based on based on what? What's dragging them up above the Raiders, uh, in your opinion? That's the thing, and it really points to quarterback play in the NFL, how important it is. We just talked about how good of a roster they really had, and they did have a good roster last year as well. They've added to it, obviously, but they still had a good roster, and they only went 5-11, and 11, and it's because they didn't have good quarterback play. It's really that important to to have a good quarterback. You can have the best defense, but if your quarterback's not able to generate any points, it just makes it all all the much harder on your defense to prevent the offense from scoring. So they didn't get better at quarterback like we already talked about. So that's that's that. I I think they're going to be closer to close to the Raiders. I th- still think the Raiders are our worst team overall, but the Broncos aren't going to be much better if if they still get the same level of quarterback play that they have in recent seasons. I do think Teddy Bridgewater may be competent enough to get him a game or two more, uh, a win or two or more, I should say. But at the same time, I think this, I don't see this team getting to 500. Is Bridgewater going to start there? Do you think there's a real chance that he wins a job out of training camp? I do think so. I think he has the NFL experience. We've seen him play well. I mean, last year in Carolina, he wasn't very bad. He he wasn't, he, they came into Arrowhead if, if we remember correctly and, and played the Chiefs down to the wire, 33-31 ball game. Mm-hmm. He's a good quarterback. He, he's a guy that can excel with the right pieces around him. And like we just talked about, they have those guys. So that's the thing. I, I, I do think Teddy Bridgewater, if he is the starting quarterback all year, it may give them a win or two more. But there is a ceiling to an offense led by Teddy Bridgewater, and it's that, not a playoff ceiling. That's what they're going for at quarterback is not very bad. Not yeah. very bad at quarterback. <laughs> really good wide receivers. Pretty good running backs, decent offensive line, good defense. We think that that may be enough to leapfrog the Raiders because the Raiders got worse on offense where they were pretty good last year. And we don't know that their defense has improved enough to make up for that for that uh, decline on the offensive side. Yeah. And so when you look at these two teams, the Broncos and Raiders, we kind of have said they might be towards a seller, as you said. But what about the Chargers? The Chargers, in my opinion, have upgraded their offensive line, which has always been a problem for the Chargers since Phillip Rivers has been there. 
It seems like the the main thing the Chiefs have been able had over the the Chargers in recent seasons is just our pass rush comes alive when we play the Chargers. It seems like at least Frank Clark has his best games when he plays the Chargers. It seems like Chris Jones has bullied their interior offensive line for a few years, but they've upgraded. They got Corey Lindsley from the Packers. They also drafted Rashawn Slater, who is one of the best tackle prospects in the draft this year. But got, adding guys like Matt Filer as well from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who started for them last year, he should be their starting right guard for the Chargers. And then Odey Abushi from Detroit as well is a guy that started and maybe an above-average starter. He, play, he started for the Lions last year. I think the offensive line is something that, for a young quarterback especially, that really helps him become confident. And he already was a confident player last year, but it gives him even more reason to be confident, step into throws, do his thing. How do you feel about the Chargers offense going into 2021? Yeah, I mean, it really is all about the quarterback, and they do have one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. He's an exciting player. He's fun to watch. You know, it's really hard to, to not like Justin Herbert and, and what he brings to the, to the league. So anything that they can do to build around him and give him enough time to get the ball out to what's really a good receiving core and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I mean, those guys are dangerous. They're big. They added Josh Palmer who we really liked draft. They took him earlier than I would have taken him, but he's a guy that can really develop and just be another, another big presence on the outside. I love watching Austin Eckler play the game. If he's healthy this year, they, they really have a, a ton of options on that offense if they can give Herbert time and if this team can stay healthy enough to to reach some of the potential that they have and that's that's really the question for them every year yeah and I do think with the Eckler point when you're talking about comparing it to the Chiefs comparing it to how they match up with the Chiefs the Chiefs linebackers that's that's a lot of the weak spot on the Chiefs defense and Austin Eckler exploits that, his, his quickness out of the backfield, but also his ability to line up in the slot, you know, uh, start in the backfield, but then move out to the slot before the snap. That forces linebackers to, to have to tackle him in space, play him in space, and that's not their specialty unless they can get a guy like Willie Gay on the field more. So I do think the Chargers have a chance to, to really be an explosive offense, but I will say their defense also has a few additions that, and one of them is not a, a true offseason addition. Uh, I, I want to talk about Derwin James, who we, a lot of people have forgot about because he's been injured. But when he came in the league, he was one of the best safeties right off the bat. He was an all-pro as a rookie. And if he comes back healthy and they also drafted Asante Samuel Jr., they already had guys like Chris Chris Harris and Michael Davis, who was a decent corner for them. They already have guys in the secondary, especially Nasir Adderley as well, a guy that's going to keep continuing to take steps. This is a defensive secondary, just like Denver, that is built to really rival the multiple – options that the Chiefs have in their receiving core. Yeah, they certainly, again, look to the defensive backfield as a way to contain the Chiefs offense. I mean, it really it really feels like that's a, resp- a direct response to to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, just like in other uh, other teams around the league. But, you know, Chris Harris uh, in the nickelback position, I saw a stat. Somebody somebody claims that he was or is the, the best nickel defender in league history, uh, which I feel like is a pretty bold take, but he's a good player in the nickel spot. I really like Asante Samuel Jr. in the draft. I think he's a feisty athletic player that can just, you know, make, make receivers fight for every single play, every single catch. So they've got some pieces on defense, on the defensive backfield at least. Again, you look at their pass rush, and if healthy – you know, Joey Bosa is one of the best in the league. And Jerry Tillery is a, a competent pass rusher from the inside or inside or outside, has some flexibility there. I don't know about their linebackers. Has Kenneth Murray really panned out to be what, what teams hope they would be? He would be in the draft? No, <laughs> but it's only been a year. And I was not a huge fan of Kenneth Murray as it was uh, going into the draft. He was a guy that I, publicly said I did not want the Chiefs to take and you know he was he was a Chiefs Twitter kind of draft crush but he does have the requisite athleticism that linebackers need in today's NFL especially if you want to go against the Chiefs offense you know covering guys like Clyde Edwards Hilaire out of the backfield he does that have that athleticism so they are set they they have athletes but does it all come together that's the real question speaking of athletic linebackers they added you know 
if you want to compete with the Chiefs and you want to add an athletic linebacker, what do you do? You go out and you get yourself a Neiman. <laughs> Nick Neiman, the newest Chargers linebacker, trying to trying to get some insight, some intel from the Chiefs from his brother. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I, that's that's good. I'm just glad he's not on. Uh, the Chiefs didn't go for another Neiman, right? I, I think I think we have all the Neimans we need. Someone else can take a Neiman. So we think that the Chargers have done enough. And again, if healthy and you can see continued development from Justin Herbert and the offense, that this is going to be a real contender, a Super Bowl contender, an AFC title contender, or just a second place in the AFC West kind of team, like a wild card and and make the playoffs kind of team. I think offense is really important. It's more important than defense, in my opinion. They do have a good defense, but they have the offense to score with the Chiefs, in my opinion. I really think they do. And if that's the case, I do think they'll push the Chiefs a little bit for that division crown, as long as they stay healthy, as we said. And that's always a thing with the Chargers, right? We, we never know how healthy they're going to be. They ha- seem to have a curse over them. But I do see them being a playoff team. I, I think with seven teams in the, in the AFC playoff picture, I think they're one of those teams. So I will say they, are, they will push the Chiefs a little bit for the AFC, the AFC West crown. Ultimately, the Chiefs prevail, but we could see them in the postseason. I think that makes sense. Let's transition to another idea that I'm just going to straight up steal from Twitter. So our buddy Chiefly Bacon on Twitter put out this would you rather question. And I love would you rather question, so I'm going to pretend that he was asking us. And let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this would you rather situation. So he said, would you rather have Mike Remmers at right tackle and Lucas Niang available to back up Orlando Brown Jr., or would you rather have Niang at right tackle flipping sides in case there's an injury? So would you rather have Niang be your starter at right tackle or be your backup at both tackle spots? My initial thought when I see this is that Niang is going to be their long-term right tackle. There's no question because you already have your long-term left tackle. You hope, you know, Orlando Brown is not – paid long-term yet he's not locked up long-term yet but that's the hope right you don't trade again you don't trade for a guy without thinking he's going to be the long-term answer so my first thought is you keep Niang at right tackle you want him to get as many reps as possible especially because he didn't play football last year but at the same time right now in OTAs early in the offseason maybe this is a good time for Niang to get left tackle reps get him kind of playing both spots you never know what's going to happen just get him comfortable moving around, doing both things. Because it's a very high possibility, strong possibility that Remmers is the right tackle week one. And so you want him to be, you want Niang to be able to back up both positions. I'm, I'm a little torn on this, though. Where do you come out on this? I just, I just think Niang, he's the right tackle for the long term. But at the same time, if he has to be the swing tackle this year, the Chiefs want versatility from their guys, and they're going to ask for it. I think you you want Niang to be the right tackle long term, and this sort of dovetails into a question from Second Dose Done Dirk Dirk R U S C on Twitter. Do you think are we content with the right tackle options, and or should they sign somebody else? I think I feel pretty good about the right tackle position if Niang is a long term option, and if that's the case, I want him getting that experience. I want him getting those reps. I don't want him to be the backup and only get in there in case somebody gets injured, that's not necessarily setting somebody up for success, right? You're going to have a better chance at succeeding if you've been practicing at that position. There's been some continuity to that. You've got the off-season time to work on it. I'd rather not see Niang sitting on the bench and then get dropped in to one spot or the other, setting him up to fail. I really would like to see him go and take that right tackle job and be the guy. Because the best situation you could have is Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle locked in for the long term, which I'm sure will happen, and then Niang step up and win, outright win that right tackle job from Mike Remmers, who obviously is lining up at the first team right now. I want Niang to come out and win that job in the offseason here, and then you've got a really fantastic situation for the long term because you've got young tackles, but you've also got – a really good backup situation with Mike Remmers being a versatile backup, assuming Creed Humphrey wins that interior, the center job, 
your first interior offensive lineman back up is Austin Blythe, who's a two-position starter in the league. So you've got really good experience backups at a low cost all the way across the offensive line, and you've got young players developing together, building continuity for the long term. That's the ideal situation. I can't, I can't imagine wanting Remmers to win that job and to have your young guy be a backup just to just because you don't want to see Remmers at left tackle, which frankly is the only counter argument to this. Yes, and and that is probably I think his chiefly Bacon's kind of underlying point is that you can't have Remmers go out there at left tackle. We've seen Remmers play solid at right tackle, but there's just we've we've seen it in the Super Bowl. You just can't do it. It just can't happen. They do have Martinez Rankin as the immediate left tackle backup. I believe he's been practicing left tackle. He played left tackle every snap of the week 17 game last season. And so maybe it's one of those things where if Brown goes out, it's already going to be a drop off no matter what. Right. So maybe you just trust Rankin to do that. Even if he isn't better necessarily than Niang, you just trust him because he's experienced. He's been in the system and either way, you're going to have a drop off of play. It's not like you're going to be able to get a Brown level type of play at left tackle either way. But I got to imagine Rankin would have a little bit more of a chance than Remmers, I would think. But maybe not. That's the problem. It, it's at the same time, we've only seen Remmers. We've only seen Rankin at left guard and it was it was all right. But, you know, he didn't do anything special there. Well, Linda Brown's a pretty durable player, too. So you, that's one of the yeah. reasons we're comfortable making that trade for him is he's a guy who's going to be on the field. He's shown the ability to be available and be consistent. So do you structure your whole offensive line around this idea that you need the right player to step in when he gets hurt? Or do you go forward with the best offensive line, the best five that you can put out there on the field to start off the game and, and be comfortable with your veteran backups and yeah, if 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 Brown misses one game, then Remmers can fill in at left tackle for one game. Nobody wants to see it, but filling in at one game is no big deal. If Brown were out for the season, then you go ahead and reshuffle the line if you have to, right? Like that. Those are two totally different conversations. And Remmers is not going to look like Super Bowl left tackle Mike Remmers against every opponent. The Tampa Bay Bucks right. uniquely positioned to take advantage of him at left tackle and they did. So I don't know that that's going to be every week. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make the case for Mike Remmers as a left tackle. I'm just saying that if he has to step in for a game, you figure it out. If it's longer than that, then, then yeah, you reshuffle the whole thing if you have to. Yeah. And we're just talking through it. And I think this is something that is good to talk through because it is a interesting situation. Like we were kind of saying, ideally, you need you need Lucas Niang as your long-term right tackle. And so if he can just be the right tackle, just go for it, you know? Just don't even that's the thing. If there's some growing pains, that's fine. It's it's a long-term thing. This is a long-term process. We, it's funny as fans, it's it always is win now, right? It's always win now mode. But there's there's a lot of value in giving Niang the experience even if he's not necessarily ready to be the right tackle giving him that experience early. And so in a few years, he can really be comfortable to become, you know, a really solid right tackle. You bet. Well, with that, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to get to a bunch more of your Twitter questions right after this on the Outside the Structure podcast on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Chiefs Kingdom, we're back at it. Back after the break on the Airhead Pride Out of Structure podcast. Thank you for listening. Please check out the website and don't forget to rate and review this podcast when you can. We talked about some a few things, some different things at the top of this podcast, but now we're going to get into your Twitter questions. You've asked them the last two weeks, so some of these are going to be from a week ago. Some of these are going to be from Monday. We're going to start with Michael Reed on Twitter, at XXDanteHicksXX on Twitter. He had a good question, an interesting question, and I think this is something we all kind of thought about recently, especially with free agency in recent years. Are we overvaluing the idea that offensive free agents want to play with Patrick Mahomes? Seems like defensive free agents have been more excited to join us just to not have to play against him. But big-name offensive free agents or tradable, tradable players aren't seeing Kansas City as a desirable location. What do you think on that, Stags? What, does he have a valid point to that? You know, I think he does. I think this is a played-out take a little bit that somehow Patrick Mahomes is going to sway free agents to come this way to the point where they're going to take less money or sacrifice their own stats or ability to earn their next contract. I don't think that was ever true at all. First of all, I don't doubt that any player in the league would like to play with Patrick Mahomes. I think that's a given. If you asked every player in the league, hey, if you're a free agent, would you like to play with Mahomes? Bar none, they're going to say, hell yes, unless they're a quarterback <laughs> because <Right. laughs> they're not going to get to play. Um, but everybody else, I think, is going to want to play with Mahomes. But I don't think anybody ever is going to sacrifice money, you know, status, or the ability to earn a contract. And, and I just don't think that was ever the case. So, so yes, it's, it's played out. I think this is a good location for free agents across the board because it's a good team because it's great coaches because they win and yeah because of Mahomes but I don't think that he is somehow this magic you know Pied Piper of free agents so I want to clarify that the Chiefs have had luck with especially this season with offensive line free agents and tradable players coming to play with Mahomes Joe Tooney and Kyle Long both were free agents that signed here they chose to sign here and Orlando Brown, obviously, it's a trade, so he doesn't have as much power in, in where he goes. But at the same time, the Ravens probably didn't want to trade their left tackle to the Chiefs either, and they did anyway. Probably has to do with Orlando Brown wanting to go there, uh, however that goes. But I also think we got to understand that these top receivers, top pass catchers, they don't want to be the third guy here, and they would be. They're coming in no matter what and being the third guy, no matter how good you are. If it's a Julio Jones – he would be the third guy here, no matter what. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are definitely the number one and two. And, and just for example, Juju Smith-Schuster, who could have came here. The Chiefs were interested, obviously. They've said that. He took less money to go back to Pittsburgh, probably because he didn't want to be the third option in this offense, which I, are, I would argue the third being a third option in this offense is better than being the first option in Pittsburgh's offense. And I don't <laughs> even think he would be the first option there either. But I just think it's it's – it's about their ego, about players' ego, these star players, these, these higher-profile players. They don't want to be the third fiddle. You know, they, they want to be the guy. They want to be that main guy. So I do think we'll see more pass catchers, more top-flight pass catchers in this vein come to Kansas City once Hill and Kelsey kind of either retire or just aren't on the team or aren't as special as they are currently. But that's going to be a while. Yeah, it's about the overall opportunity. First of all, it's about the money. I think Joe Tooney would have signed with the Chiefs if Alex Smith was still the quarterback. Like, I think he, right. you know, obviously they made him the highest paid guard in the league for, and, and that's no, that's the reason he came here. It's not, he didn't come here because of the quarterback. Yes. But it is about opportunity. It's about fit. It's about how to best feature your talent and, and get the next big contract. And so, you know, I, I don't think it has, 
a lot to do with Mahomes. Well, Nick Russell in Russell 2018 on Twitter asked, what fringe roster player makes the biggest impact if they pop off out of nowhere? So he lists off a few options. Feel free to take one of these choices or somebody else. But he says Dorian O'Daniel, Armani Watts, or Tim Ward, uh, to name a few. These are fringe roster players that would be very impactful if they made a huge jump. So who's your fringe player that would make the biggest impact? I'm going to steal one of his. I think Tim Ward was a, was a good name to throw out on this question. We've talked about it earlier in the podcast, but Tim Ward is a, is a lengthy guy, a guy that's shown some plays. And if he can become a player that can rotate into your defensive line rotation, that's a, all of a sudden a really deep defensive line, even though there may not be the top end guys, it's Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Jaron Reed, you can include in that. And then a bunch of situational players type more like that that's the defensive line is is all about depth it's it's you can have your your top flight guys but if you don't have good depth it's not really going to matter it's it's all about the rotation so i really think it would really help the defense if you can get another good pass rusher another edge pass rusher like tim ward really popping off who do you have stags well on tim ward i, I did write a little bit about him in my piece where i was trying to argue that they didn't need to add another big name defensive end and Tim Ward did show off in show up in the Week 17 game where he had an opportunity to play. He had a sack. He had five tackles. He's got a physical presence that that reminds you of you know a Tano Passanio or, or some of these really big, athletic guys at the defensive line position that fit the Spagnolo mold. You know he's had a couple of years in the system. I think they really like him. So yeah, I think that he would be a huge impact if he steps up even if he's just part of the rotation, if he can take the Tano Passanio role this year and he doesn't have to be an elite starter, but he's going to be part of that rotation. And I think that's a positive. If he goes from part of the rotation and takes another jump and becomes, you know, a, a five to 10 sack player, then yeah, I mean, that changes everything. So that's a good choice. I'm going to go with a real fringe player at arguably an even thinner position we talked about the linebacking core and how there's some challenges in where do you slot these guys? Is there enough depth? Is there a frontline starter at each position at linebacker? A guy that we've been hoping that would develop forever, who, frankly, I'm not betting that he does at this point, but if Dorian O'Daniel were to all of a sudden be not only part of the rotation, but, but a reliable piece, a starter, a, a snap eater, that puts a really athletic player on the field at the linebacker position and really changes that group's outlook. Now all of a sudden you've got three, arguably, young athletic linebackers plus Anthony Hitchens who can you know sort of anchor the whole group. I think all of a sudden you've got some options there that are fun to watch. I love seeing Dorian O'Daniel on the field when he's on the field. I know there's some questions about does he understand all of his assignments? Does he sound you know, from the mental processing aspect. But, man, when he flies across the field and he puts he puts the pads on somebody, it hits different. It sounds different. It looks different than other linebackers of his size and ability. And, man, if you had Dorian O'Daniel instead of Ben Neiman on the field and he were able to at least be an impact player in that role, I think you'd be pretty happy with that, especially given what you just watched, Ron. Yeah, isn't it funny with Dorian O'Daniel? It's not necessarily that he's ever bad when he plays for the defense. It's just that he's never on the field for the defense. When he's on the field, he makes plays. He's made plays in the past, specifically against the Houston Texans. He's had a few sacks on Deshaun Watson in his career, as I recall. And just off the top of my head, honestly, this just popped in my head. But 2019 against the Bengals, I remember he was covering Joe Mixon really well out of the backfield that game. It was a, it was a Sunday night or an arrowhead. He's made plays on defense. It's just he never gets on the field for defense. And there's a reason for that, and that's probably not going to change. And they drafted two second-round linebackers since drafting him for a reason. So it's not likely. It's a long shot. I think that was the context of the question, somebody that's a long shot that would be hugely impactful if they blew up. I'm rooting for him. I hope he does, but I'm not going to hold my breath probably. I wouldn't unless you want to die. 
Um, so from Eric M. Toland on at EMTKB4 on Twitter, we're going to go ahead and talk about some corners because that's a hot topic, right? He asks, if are Snead and Ward really going to be week one, cornerback one and two? I don't know if I'm a fan of that. And just real quick before we get into that, because we're going to have a few more questions, I'm just going to go ahead and, and confirm. Spagnola told us in the OTA pressers last week that they are going to be cornerback one and two. He explicitly said they're, kind of, they're trying to find that third guy to emerge after these two. And, he's, and that tells me that they're locked in. They know Ward and Snead are the guys they can trust that can play cornerback for sure already. And they're waiting for that group of – the rest of them to kind of have a third or fourth guy emerge and really uh, take control of that third or fourth position. But also other, other Twitter questions asked like from John Spielbush at Panda Jerko one with Breland signing elsewhere. How do you feel about our cornerback situation? And then Nathan Sabelka at Nate Kansas is asked who is more likely to prove to be healthy and make an impact for our defense. Is it Deandre Baker or Mike Hughes? So let's just talk a little cornerback. Let's talk about those guys after Warden Sneed, and we'll start with Baker and Hughes. Who do you think out of those two could make the biggest impact? So I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, but I do feel like the team is high on DeAndre Baker, and they, they're really confident that he's going to come back healthy and be an impact player. Baker is an outside corner, I think, primarily. And so with Spagnolo's answer, you could really logically see a scenario where you start off with Ward and Snead on the outside, and then when the third corner comes on, you put Baker outside, Snead drops inside, and you've got a pretty good one, two, three on your cornerback group. So I think that's probably the more likely outcome at this point, and maybe why they were comfortable letting Breland sign elsewhere is because they like the potential of DeAndre Baker on the outside. Yeah, I think it is important to note how quickly the Chiefs were able to lock him up as in a reserve future deal right after the 2020 season. And also just the day after he was injured with that broken leg, Andy was already in the press conference saying he's in the building. He's looking good. You know, he's, he's, he's doing stuff. That's pretty, I, I think we all kind of know they're pretty, they don't like to talk about the injuries a lot. If they don't need to say anything about the injuries, they'll, they'll say their corporate line and move on. You know, I think it is important that they, they've said that kind of stuff. I think you're right. They do have high feelings for DeAndre Baker. I'm going to go with Mike Hughes, though. First of all, it's tough to recover from as a cornerback, someone who has to move as much as he does. But Mike Hughes does have injury problems as well. He had a neck injury in 2020. It's actually uh, something that's been plaguing him for a couple years. But as of 329, as of March 29th this year, I read that he was fully healthy and recovered. So that's a good sign. And he's also just have the, the combined experience that Baker just doesn't have yet. Baker started a whole season for the New York Giants before not playing in this in this second season in the NFL and then coming to us in 2020. Hughes has had legitimate playing time for the Vikings in three different seasons. So he has that experience. Maybe that's what gives him the edge for me. But I do think it's a it's a really wide open competition for those guys. And someone didn't we didn't even mention was Rashad Fenton, who should be firmly in the mix as well. Yeah, I think they have a type there, right? Are they are they they like these sort of slightly undersized, feisty, you know, physical players, really competitive players. Hughes fits that mold. He's somebody I really liked coming into the draft. And I think obviously Brett Veach did as well. If he's healthy and he gets in with some good coaches here and the scheme fit maybe works out better here for him than it did in Minnesota, then maybe, maybe he is an impact player by the end of the season. Fenton is a great depth piece that you can rotate around a little bit. So I, I think, you know, they've got options, and clearly, as of now, they're pretty comfortable with those options, and they're not making any other drastic moves at the cornerback position. So we'll see how it plays out. I think for now I'm going to stick to my prediction of, of Baker being the third guy, but I could, I could see it being Hughes, and I wouldn't be upset if that, if that were the case. Well, at this point, uh, Wes at Tatum Mondesi MVP brings us to our weekly segment of bubble watch 2021 what veteran is most on the bubble this year and he sort of expands the definition of a bubble is this is somebody who could be cut but maybe even after this season um, and there's a bubble whether they get an extension or get cut so Ron 
with the expanded definition, does that change who you might put on the bubble this week? Yes, it does. It's kind of hard to find a veteran that qualifies as someone that isn't a free agent after 2021. You'd actually have to cut next year. But I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to talk about Charvarius Ward, the cornerback, starting cornerback, quarterback one on the team, you'd assume. Maybe Snead has that, has that uh, label now, maybe. I would say so, probably. I think Snead's a more talented player. But Charvarius Ward's been a starter for this defense, and he keeps – since he was an undrafted free agent, he keeps having to just get these one-year restricted free agent deals each season. He hasn't really hit the open market yet, but after 2021, he will. He'll be an unrestricted free agent, and he's one of those players that if he doesn't play well, there's no reason to re-sign him, but if he does play well, we've seen the Chiefs not invest a lot in cornerback, and so maybe they decide, even if he is a, a decent cornerback for them this year, to move on and and trust the guys that we've already talked about on this team, the younger guys that aren't going to be, you know, asking for a long-term contract like Ward should be after this season. So I'm going to say Traverius Ward. I think he has a big opportunity to make a lot of money for himself this year, but he also has an opportunity. If it doesn't go right, he just might be that next cornerback that had his time in the spotlight, the chief spotlight, but didn't really pan out. We've seen those guys. We've seen Mark, the Marcus Coopers of the world. That happens, and so I don't know. It, it, he's definitely a guy that I think has a lot to prove this year, has a lot riding on how he performs in 2021. And he could be on the bubble two different ways there, as if he struggles, he could get cut, uh, and they could move on to a different player. If he doesn't, then he could price himself out in, from a team that does not seem to like to put money at the cornerback position. So I can see that. Um, I'm going to put our friend Andrew Wiley on the bubble this week, Andrew Wiley has been a reliable player for the Chiefs and played a lot of different positions and logged a ton of snaps over the last few years. But with the influx of talent on the offensive line, I'm not sure where he fits in. He can be a backup at multiple positions, but they, they have other guys who can as well. If, if it works out the way we laid it out, and Austin Blythe is your backup center and guard, and Mike Remmers is a backup tackle, could also be a guard as well. How many more spots do they have available behind the, the mainline starters? And is Wiley going to be content with not being a starter after, after really starting so many games for this team over the last few years? It's just a very crowded room. And not that he's a bad player, but I think he is in this group with Nick Allegretti and LDT who – are all going to find themselves squarely on the bubble and Martinez Rankin as well. And they probably can only keep one of those four if the, if the rest of the depth chart works out the way that I think it will. Yeah. I think Wiley definitely has a good shot at, at beating those other three guys out just because it seems like the coaching staff loves him. They've hung on to him for a few years. He started multiple seasons, multiple positions. He started both guard positions. He started at right tackle in the past. He is flexible, but, like you just mentioned, there's so many of those kind of guys on the team now. And especially we've talked about it before with the, with how the chiefs may be transitioning to more of a powerful offensive line guys, instead of being movers, they're, they're more of guys that can really push people out of the way. I don't see Wiley fitting into that category. He's definitely more of a finesse player. Would you rather have Wiley or Allegretti if it came down to those two as a backup interior offensive lineman, who do you think fits that mold better? I'd say Allegretti. I'd say Allegretti, especially if you're just talking interior offensive line, obviously not factoring in the, the flexibility to be a tackle, which is it even that important right now when they have the amount of tackles they do on the team? I know they don't, you know, I know that's not as deep as guard, but they do have Remmers, Niang, Brown. And if you want to include Rankin as a fourth tackle, I think he's fine as a fourth tackle. Yeah, so I, I'd say Allegretti. I think he's more of a people mover. Yeah, I think so, too. He's got that nastier disposition, probably. Yeah. And then you can add in Prince Tegawanogo as, as well to that mix. At yes. Tackle. Even if he's on the practice squad, you know, he gives you a, an upside player, a massive body at one of the tackle spots. And so if you're keeping nine offensive linemen and we think that the starting lineup is pretty close to being set, you know, coming at least coming out of camp or at least coming into camp, you've got Brown. Tooney, Humphrey, Long, 
and Remmers with Niang in competition, with Blythe as a backup, with Trey Smith as a guy they're super excited about. That's your first eight. And so, again, you've got Rankin, Allegretti, Wiley, LDT, Durant, Williams, and, and Winogo at least all competing. That's six players, seven players competing for one spot on the 53-man 50, roster plus whoever can fill in on the practice squad. Yeah, I that's the thing. It is such a deep competition. It's really cool, though. I, I think we all know competition breeds success. Before we move on, also, I, I do want to point out, listening to Andy Heck's OTA press conference, he straight up said Trey Smith is a guy that he could see becoming a starter in the future. Mm-hmm. Just not – just he has the tools, but he just – he has a way to go to become that. But, you Which, know, put it, put it, putting that on a guy drafted in the sixth round either way is, is a good sign for him. It would be a pretty good situation if Kyle Long plays like Kyle Long this year and Trey Smith develops the way they think he can – and eventually you transition from a good Kyle Long to a second or third year Trey Smith at right guard. Yep, I know. I'm excited about the offensive line, short term and long term. Well, let's move on to some new players, a few new players on the offense. CB on Twitter asked about them at KCCB85. He asked, who gets more production this year out of new weapons? Noah Gray, Cornell Powell, or Jarek McKinnon? And then Cody Douglas also asked on Twitter, who has a greater impact this season, Noah Gray or Cornell Powell? So let's talk about these young offensive players. I know McKinnon's not as young as the other two, but new guys, who do we see having the greatest impact this year? Who do you think could? So McKinnon's a dark horse there. I mean, I I don't think he gets enough play to really have the consistent production, but he's somebody that could put up big numbers in limited snaps. So that wouldn't be a bad choice. I'm going to go with Cornell Powell, though. I think he's got the clearer path to being a starter. I'm putting starter in air quotes here at that number two or that X receiver. Who's in front of Powell that's going to be impossible to unseat for that position? Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, nothing against either of those guys, but I could see very easily Powell carving out a role, getting some production, Mahomes already called him a beast, right? If they're building some rapport here, you know, there's no reason, there's no obstacle in the way for Powell to have some production, even in his rookie season, as he earns that spot. He's got the physical build for it. The guy is a freak uh, athletically, if you look at him, the way he's put together. And he plays a position that doesn't have a clearly defined starter in front of him. So it's all about competition there. If he shows out, he can have an impact. Yeah, and I like how you reference Mahomes making the comment because I do think it's important to listen to to players and coaches on how they they're talking about these guys right now. I'd th- I'd say Noah Gray is my answer, and I would have said Powell, but until I heard Mahomes's press conference, the OTAs from last week, he sure liked what he was seeing from Noah Gray. He sure did. He he made some comments about how Gray just seems to have a veteran like ability to get open which I think is a really good thing to say about a rookie, right? You know, your, your ability to get open for him as a veteran, you know, in a veteran kind of, kind of way. And we've heard the staff talk about him in a Travis Kelsey way too, which is a little unfair probably for him. But Hey, he while we're more- overreacting to OTAs, there was the clip, my favorite clip so far, when Orlando Brown destroyed <laughs> kill on a chest bump. On that play, Noah, Noah Gray is in there at, in the, with the first team on a goal line offense so you know they sure seem excited about him you know I think the two rookies you've heard the most about so far are Noah Gray and Trey Smith right yeah it seems like it I I think they really I think they really believe Noah Gray can be the tight end two type that they haven't had in a while I didn't think he could come in maybe right away and do it but I could be wrong he he is he he did have a lot of experience at Duke it's not like this guy just came onto the scene in his last season. He was playing all four years. He has experience all four years. I like his ability to be more of a chess piece and more of a creative piece of the offense. Not necessarily your traditional tight end two. He's never yeah. going to be Demetrius Harris. You know, that's that's the tight end two prototype. But for him to be that hybrid player, the, the fullback slash tight end slash H-back, you know, that they just get creative with, he can do a lot 
of the things that Kelsey can do from a backup perspective, but also maybe do some of the things that uh, Anthony Sherman used to do. And, and maybe those two roles combined to give him enough of an impact this year uh, to make a difference. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's going to be exciting to see them in training camp. I can't wait, but we're going to move on to Ben White's question on Twitter, Ben White 485. And he's asking about the linebacker group. He's asking, are we overlooking just how unsettled the linebacker position group is? I don't think we are, but I also want to tie this into a Ryan Griffin from Twitter question at Ryan Griffin, 1980, who asks, what's the biggest, the biggest weakness or the thinnest position group on the team. And I do think linebacker is the easy answer there. What do you think about the linebacker group heading into 2020? We've talked about them a lot this podcast, I feel like, but in, in, in terms of how they compare to the other positions on the team, they're the thinnest, right? It has to be. It feels that way because, you know, they, they lost a guy, Damon Wilson, who, who logged a lot of snaps, and he did a lot of different things in a fairly consistent manner. So you had that veteran presence. You know, he made the big play in the Super Bowl. I think you highlight that in your article this week. But they're, they're going to miss him. And so they're thinner in that way. But then they turned around and added – a second round player that they're excited about their first pick went to linebacker. So maybe they're, they're deeper in some ways, at least from a youthful athletic perspective than they've been in the past, but it's certainly a big question mark. So I, I guess I'm, I'm arguing semantics here, whether we're, it's a weakness or a question mark or a thin position, but they certainly there's certainly a lot of questions at linebacker and they've, they've yet to really clearly be, be answered. This one's going to be a lot bigger of a, of a loss than I think we kind of realized. I think we've all kind of thought, you know, they could lose him. They just need to get better at that position, but it's, he did bring a lot, especially in the red zone. You just mentioned, I highlighted it in my article. He was one of the only linebackers you could consistently see really getting up into a hole and actually stonewalling a ball carrier. You, you think of Hitchens as that kind of guy, but unfortunately a lot of time he's getting into the hole and getting pushed back as he makes a tackle for two or three more yards. Wilson was actually pretty good at getting low and actually stuffing the ball carrier was where he was. That's something that we really need to see from Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. One of them, whoever, whichever one kind of gets more playing time, they need to be, be able to bring that ability this year, that hit staking ability. We saw from Gay last year a few times in some glimpses. He definitely has that ability to get downhill and make a big hit. I think that's something they're really going to miss from Damien Wilson. So I think it is under, I, I do think the, I do think Ben White has a good point with overlooking it because we, because in my opinion, I, I look at Willie Gay, look at Nick Bolton. I'm like, all right, we're getting younger. We're getting a little better, but it may not take, it may not be as quick that they can replenish what Damien Wilson gave. And so maybe we are, you know, maybe the linebackers position is even thinner or not as great as, as we even think it is, even when we already think it's not that great. You know, it was what Nick Bolton did best in college is getting yes. downhill, you know, really hitting people, not just grabbing on. Like, he really wants to do some damage when he arrives at a ball carrier. So, you know, maybe they're counting on him to perform early, even more so than Willie Gay. Maybe in some ways he's sort of leapfrogging Willie Gay from a developmental perspective. We'll have to wait and see how they line him up. I'm still not really clear on who would play – the Sam position when they employ a Sam linebacker. I, I don't know who that guy is at this point. I thought it was Wilson last year, but I don't have an answer for this year. Do you? Well, also that's another thing we haven't touched on today. Kamala Correa seemed to be kind of a guy that, that could fit into that role and they released him over the weekend. You <laughs> stacks throwing up his hands over there. Cause we, we kind of thought he'd, he'd be a good uh, sub package edge pass rusher and someone that can give him a little off ball ability as well mm -hmm. and they didn't even give him the chance to get to training camp so that either is a good sign for these linebackers maybe maybe that's how we need to take this or it's just the Correa wasn't ever a big part of the plans as much as we thought he was yeah we, we don't know the story there maybe there was you know some disagreement or maybe he didn't come in in the shape that they expected him to or, or whatever who knows what the situation there was, but it does seem like the Steve Spagnolo defenses of old had a pass rusher from that linebacker position that was a, a chess piece for him. And the chiefs have taken a few swings at that and never landed on anybody that makes it out of training camp 
in that position. So I would love to see another pass rusher that they could employ, you know, in that Sam role, but I don't know who that would be. And I, and I, they haven't been able to, to make it work with anybody in that spot. So, so maybe we're overthinking it. Maybe we're not, but I just don't see all the answers yet at linebacker. And it's probably going to take most of the, most of the preseason to get that figured out. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to wrap up. I think we have, we have some good Twitter questions left. We might save for next week, but yeah, I, I think, I think we got a good podcast in Matt. I really appreciated the conversation. Really enjoyed it. Hope you guys did too. If you do, please rate and review on any podcast channel you listen to us on. Please listen to the other podcasts on the Air Red Pride Podcast Network. We've got the editor show coming out Tuesdays. we got uh, BK in the show on Fridays and the Great British Show on Saturdays. Keep listening. Keep tuning in. Appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.